Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. first married and thinking about having children, I hoped I'd have a large family, at least five children. The scripture from Psalm 127, three through five, grabbed my heart early on in my walk with Christ. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. So I assumed a big family was God's plan for me since I was following Christ and I wanted God's will. Well, it didn't turn out exactly as I'd planned. After our daughter was born, I had an ectopic or tubal pregnancy that ended in miscarriage and ended my ability to have any more children. So my husband and I tried adoption, but each time we tried, it fell through four times. And as the years went by, the Lord made it clear we were to be the parents of an only child. It was most definitely not what I wanted, but it ultimately came to be what I accepted from the Lord's hand. As I've learned slowly over the years, God the Father always knows best. And in his infinite wisdom, our one daughter has given us five grandchildren. So God gave me my heart's desire, just one generation removed. Well, today we're talking about family size and family dynamics. And in case you weren't aware, between Jamie, September, and I, we have 16 children. Now, I raised an only child. September has 10 children, and Jamie has five. As I was researching this episode, I found an interesting statistic. Between 1976 and 2015, families with only one child have gone from 11% of the population to 22%, according to the Pew Research Center. It's the fastest growing family unit in the United States. Loads of people are choosing to limit their families to one child, but is it biblical? Well, we'll tackle that question in a future episode. For today, we're talking about the dynamics different family sizes bring into play and how they affect your parenting styles. I know you'll learn something new as you join us. So different family sizes require the application of different time management strategies. And as the mom of an only, obviously it was quite different for me and likely quite a bit easier for me to manage my time than for either September or Jamie, as I had only one schedule and one child to worry about. So what time management tips can you give our listeners to help calm the chaos and bring some sense of order to life? Things like meal planning, bedtimes, laundry chores, all those things. Well, let's first address that term calming the chaos, because I don't really know if the chaos in my home is ever going to be calmed. Um, At least in my life, the older my kids get, uh, the more kids seem to return to my home. Now I have grandchildren for me, which is still like raising kids. And I like to call this organized chaos. For any big family out there, this is a new term you might want to use, organized chaos. There really is no way to be completely organized. But as far as time management, um, I remember the day that I realized my life needed to change from living a free moving and relaxed kind of day to the life that needed a plan and a schedule. I think I was 
maybe three children in to um, growing our family. And a really close friend of mine sat down and she said, September, you know, there's other ways to do this. It doesn't have to feel so crazy. So I went from a very loose type B mom to a major type A mom um, in that transition in my personality, in my motherhood. And now I'd say I'm a nice comfy spot right in the middle, at least when it comes to scheduling. So we've used a lot of different things. We've used block scheduling system and we've used lists for our family for years. Uh, my main goal in all of this though, was to help my kids learn their own time management and not just follow my lead and step in line when I told them to do something. That's the key with a big family. Um, having a block schedule and a list, it's great. And keeping everyone you know, moving is great, but I wanted them to be able to manage their own time so that eventually I didn't always have to be like an instructor or a conductor, you know, moving the pieces. Uh, we use whiteboard magnet blocks that I created a system for. Um, we had a lot of different meal planning tips and that used to be a really good strength of mine. And then I got really tired and now all of these girls I've raised have kind of taken that over. Uh, bedtimes, we had really firm bedtimes, but we did work on flexibility when it came to like entertaining or visiting others. You know, when we would go to someone's house or people would come over, I wanted my kids to know flexibility so that they would stay up a little late and not be so out of sorts. Um, and then laundry, you know, I think that's a whole podcast of its own. Um, you know, how do you do laundry for a big family? But seriously, though, we um, just incorporated that into our chores. I just found a good system for it. But as far as our family, all of those things are necessary to keep, I think, to keep a large family unit run cohesively. And I don't want to say run well because everyone has a different um, viewpoint on what that looks like. You know, some family might be, we do fine. We don't have bad times. And, but for us, it was about cohesiveness. It was about teamwork. And um, I, you know, we wanted to raise a family where the parents aren't just serving children that are grown up to be consumers, you know, consumers of their parents' time and me serving them. So we worked really hard on chores and uh, meal planning and all of those things. And, and um, I think we've done, you know, specific podcasts on meal planning and things like that, how to budget. But when it comes to chores and things like that, you know, those are things that were very vital in keeping my family moving. Yeah. So I heard you say September uh, flexibility. Maybe you didn't use those exact words, but they were definitely laced in there. And I think that's the key when you have a big family. You want to be flexible because there's lots of parts. There's lots of wheels spinning because there's lots of people that have their own lives in your family. But part of being able to be flexible comes when you have a firm foundation. And that's where things like schedules and habits come in. And it's not that a mom with lots of kids is rigid or cold. We've just come to the conclusion that in order to be flexible, we have to build in some of those firm foundations that maybe a family with fewer kids don't necessarily need, although I think I can make an arguable case that that's good for everyone. But it's definitely a necessity when you have lots of kids. So some of the things that we've done over the years, um, and obviously I don't have ma as many kids as September, and so my, my firmness maybe doesn't have to be as firm, but um, 
we always start the day with what I call a good morning board. And I can link to that in the show notes. And it's just a board that I, I made up when my kids were really little, when they were even too small to read. So I wrote out the words, but I also drew pictures of just the five things that I expected them to do before we, you know, kind of got our day underway. And those five things included reading your Bible. And obviously when you're really little and you don't know how to read, that just means sitting down and looking at pictures in a Bible picture book, but just establishing the habit of meeting God first in the morning. So they would read their Bible, they would clean their room, and that also meant make their bed. And then after those two things were done, they could eat breakfast. I'm a firm believer that, you know, scripture says if a man does not work, he does not eat. So I actually think food is a really good built-in motivator, especially for young boys to um, get their tasks done. Like if you want breakfast in the morning, and I know you do, um, be sure to clean your room and have that ship shape. And then they got dressed brush their hair and their teeth. And then if they were able to get all of those things done pretty quickly, then they'd have lots of extra time to play before we had to get our day rolling. So there was some built-in self-motivation to that board. And they would just come to the refrigerator where it was posted every morning and, you know, look down the list at all the things and be sure to check all of those things off mentally in their head. And it was a great way to build some independence in a lot of little kids. So I didn't always have to play drill sergeant and kind of say the same thing and be a nag every morning. So um, we have since moved out of that, that good morning board, but it took several years to establish the habit. So that board was hanging on my fridge for several years. And now it's just sort of an intrinsic thing. They just know these are the five things I have to do before we get our day going. I also do a lot of color coding because with five kids, you know, I don't want to um, step into like a herd mentality and lump all my kids together. They obviously have personalities, but I just think that there are certain things in our day, certain tools that we use that color coding saves me time and energy. So things like I have little drink bands that we put around our glasses that all have different colors and I'm purple. So when you see the purple drink band around that clear glass cup, you know, it's mom's. And when you see the red one, you know, it's your brother's. It's just a great way to mark things um, and mark time. I use color coding for our, my planner where I write down all of our calendar events. If one of my kids has an activity, I use their particular color to write down the activity in the calendar. So I don't have to waste time and space writing names again and again. I just write it in their color and I can easily look at the calendar and know, oh, that's my daughter's activity or that's something we're all doing together as a family. And another thing that I do with, with having so many kids is I live in a state that is in sub-zero temperatures for a great majority of the year. And so it's not always convenient for me to go outside and wrangle all my kids when we're homeschooling and they're playing outside. If, if I have to start a new activity with maybe one or two of them and they're playing outside, I don't want to open the door and let all the cold air in to shout out to, in the yard for one or two kids. So I've gotten in the habit of just knocking on the window and holding up the number of child that you are. So I will hold up number one and my daughter knows she's the oldest. So that means her. 
and I'll call her inside to do her next activity by just holding up that number one. And my last born, I'll hold up the number five and he knows it's his turn to come inside. And so the more kids you have, you do just develop some tricks of the trade that help everything um, run more smoothly so that you can be more flexible in the day-to-day -day routine because you've built this firm foundation. It just made me, I just want to add to that. It makes me laugh. Um, we used to do color-coded cups and then we moved to color-coded bands and then we ran out of color options because we had so many kids. <laughs> so then we moved to um, plastic cups and we'd have a permanent marker out, which we generally do when we have company anyways. And they would write their names on the cups, but then our kids got so proficient at cleaning the kitchen, they would accidentally throw those cups away. So then we moved to personalized water bottles with their names, like I would just have. So um, we have tried everything. When I, We used to do color code socks, like certain kids would have, I would tie um, or sew a little band of color into some of the boys' socks. You know, yours are blue. Yours have a yellow band. Yours have a white strip. It just got to be so much because our family just continued to grow. So now we just have a sock basket and all the socks out of the dryer go in there and everyone finds their own socks. It seems like the most ridiculous thing ever, but it's so much easier actually. So all the socks that come out of the dryer don't even get matched. They just go in there. Some moms have said, September, I think you just gave up. And I said, no, no, I did not give up. But, you know, it just got to be so many socks. And now we have a cup drawer, like an entire, not cupboard, but a whole drawer that you pull out. And there's just all those cups in there. And everyone knows which ones is there, you know, what's their cup. So I think after we reached a certain number of kids, all those things that I had done early on, they didn't work and I had to find a new system. Um, so it basically became some things you just have to take care of yourself and some things, like we said, flexibility, you know, some things were really, really strict on. So, yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting point, September. And I just want to want to affirm that you are not just letting go because I only have five kids and I too have a sock basket where all <laughs> the clean socks just get dumped in there and they're all old enough to match their own socks. And mm. it just seems to be a better use of our time to just match mm. a pair of socks when you need it than to sit on the floor for two hours trying to match all these mismatched socks. And I think too, sometimes um, moms with just a couple of kids, they it's, I think it's easy. I remember when I was at that spot, it's easy to think, wow, that's going to be so much work having more and more kids. And in some ways it is, but in some ways it's just that you get to this point where you let go of the non-essentials to make room for this new thing, this new essential, this new baby. Right. And, and I think that can be so freeing when you just recognize it, it's not that we're lazy. It's just that we, you know, the cream really does rise to the top and the things that are the most important that really do matter, you have to hold firmly to, but the more and more kids you have, the more you're just willing to say, you know what, that doesn't really matter. And I'm going to release that and let mm -hmm. it go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. socks, you can let go. Yes. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's good discipline for the kids to find their own socks. We know the need for hands-on learning and character tools that every family is looking for. The learning and love that grows from the heart of your home is foundational to the character and development of your children. September & Co. is a homegrown company and online vendor shop with resources for learning and encouragement for families. From character resources, 
to educational hands-on tried and true tools, September & Co. has worked hard to create the very items the founder and owner, September McCarthy, has utilized in her homeschooling large family for over 25 years. The top seller, Character Matter Cards, are now available for little ones and range all the way to junior high. From skip counting flashcards, alphabet learning tools, and our new apparel line and wall prints, you will find the newest resources on the small shop market. September & Co. continues to supply families with the very best quality and colorful, engaging tools for parents to use for their children in any season. Check out September & Co. on Instagram and September & Co. Shop on Etsy. Order today for free shipping on any item within the U.S. We create every item with you and your family in mind. So let's talk about chores specifically. Let's get down into that, how you divide them up, if you have a system that works for you, anything that you've discovered to help the moms, save them a little bit, save them some headaches. What have you, and also what you found that doesn't work, things that you found that you said, I tried it and that was a miserable failure for me. So anything that you found that works and what doesn't work. Well, for us, uh, we've done this for many years, and I think the more kids that you have, the better it works. But even if you have a smaller family, it, you know, if you want to try this and try to incorporate it, I would say before I even explain what we do, the key is training initially. So you're not running into kids getting frustrated with the unknowns. And then secondly, follow through. Um, so that there's no questions, but we divide our house chores into what we call zones. Basically pick the um, areas of our home that are essential and important and divide them into how many children we have. And then anything left over, I lump into its own zone. So instead of me saying to my child or children, okay, you have dishwasher, you're going to put the silverware away, you're going to sweep the floor. Instead of breaking up my kitchen into small areas, um, which I have found does not work because if one person does not do their job correctly, everyone's either waiting or upset and it causes quarreling and I don't have that time. So for us, an entire zone would be the kitchen. But if you think about it, when everyone's sitting at the dinner table and everyone's excused, and they take their dishes into the kitchen, which is what we've taught our kids to do. Then they, we've asked them to not just put their plate on the kitchen sink, but to scrape the leftover food and rinse it with hot water and stack it there. Because when they have the kitchen, they will also appreciate that someone went the extra mile for them. Everyone could easily just leave their dishes at the table and the person who has kitchen would have to do it all. But it's about not only having a zone, but respecting when someone else has that zone, because in the end you will have that zone as well. So we divide our home into zones. So anything left over that's random, let's say maybe emptying the garbages in the bathrooms or putting um, toys away, something that doesn't, you know, necessarily fall into like laundry or the kitchen or vacuuming, that's itself in a zone. So we have right now five kids um, living at home that are actively doing zones and one does laundry, one does kitchen, one does the whole main floor, which would mean vacuuming, picking up toys, organizing, and um, someone has bathrooms. And we just divide the areas of our home that I know are important. To do those zones, we rotate them weekly. 
So whoever comes before you really needs to do a good job or it's going to cause a conflict for the person that comes next. So everyone is learning thoroughness and diligence and respect of someone else. Um, it doesn't mean you leave your toys laying around because you know, when you have that zone, they, you don't want someone to do that to you. So it's not just like having a job. So they rotate these weekly. I have found great success in this. They do it in the morning. It only takes five minutes, sometimes 10 max. And then they do it again at night before they go to bed and that's it. And sometimes in the middle of the day and not at night, because if you do it at night, it's done when you wake up in the morning. So it's a very minimal investment. And then they of course have to keep their rooms clean, their own personal areas. But our kids do not get paid to do chores. They don't get paid to do zones, but I know my kids want to buy and save and I want them to learn the principles of money. So I make this extra list of extra chores that maybe I see that need done, um, maybe cleaning up the refrigerator or wiping down all the woodwork, you know, things that I see that I know won't fall into a zone and I assign a money allotment to that and they can put their initials to it and claim that job and then they have to do it and I check it and they earn that money. And that's an extra thing. But with a big family, and even small, I'd like to say that this area isn't just about so much to do and clean up and them helping me. A lot of moms say, well, then what do you do, September? What do you do if your kids are doing all these things? It's really about responsibility, character, teamwork, respect, ownership. So um, my goal is to have my kids know and have the capabilities to do every chore or area of our home before they leave home. That's why I broke my home on zones. So when my boys leave, they don't know just how to wash dishes. They can clean a bathroom top to bottom. They can do a really good job at it. They can wash dishes. They can um, run laundry. So if you rotate your kids through each zone from the time they're young until they leave home, by the time they leave, they can clean an entire house very well. So, you know, a lot of kids grow up and say, well, when I grew up, my job was to empty the dishwasher and that was it. Um, and that's really all they know. So that's, there's a little, you know, tactics behind having zones, but that's how we handle chores in our house. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but no one has more false hope than a parent who has just developed a new chore system. I mean, I think we all can attest to starting a chore system and getting great steam on it for a few days and then just getting overwhelmed with our own system and eventually giving up. And I think the key to doing chores with your kids is just consistency. So you don't need a perfect plan, mama. You just need a plan that will actually work and that you can actually stick with. So sometimes those plans are kind of just simple. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be elaborate because you, you want to actually be able to stick with it. So one of the things that I've been doing with my kids for the last 10 or 12 years is to assign a child of the day. Each of my kids have about like three to four chores that they do every single day and then some additional chores that they do on a, like a deep clean Saturday. But along with that, I have a child of the day. And though, because I have five kids, those can be easily rotated throughout the weekdays. And so Monday it will be, you know, one child's child of the day and Tuesday, another child. And with that title of child of the day, you receive both privileges, but also responsibilities because with every great privilege comes a little bit of responsibility. So the privileges generally entail um, maybe going and getting the mail. And I know that sounds really simple, but when you're really little, 
you love being the one to rush out and grab the mail from the mailbox and be able to deliver it um, to all the other members of the family. So that has been one of the privileges in the last couple of years. Um, sitting at the table next to dad, for whatever reason, that is the prime real estate spot at the table. So when it's your day, you get to sit next to dad and I'm always on the other side. Um, praying at meals, it's your turn to pray for each other of our meals when you're the child of the day. And you get to pick the game of the day. During the summer, we usually do some game schooling. So we play a game together every day. And when you're the child of the day, one of the privileges is you get to pick what game we're playing. But again, privilege comes with responsibility. So when you're also the child of the day, you um, it's your job to wash the laundry. That means you strip your bed and you wash your sheets along with maybe one or two other loads. That's your responsibility. You also have to help mom in the kitchen. So the child of the day is my sous chef for the day and helps me cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or if they're old enough, they tackle one full meal all by themselves. So it's a great it's a great way to be able to spend some quality time with one child, especially when you have a large family, but it's a good time to instill some of those extra responsibilities that might get passed over if you're not intentional to um, really disciple, teach, and train them in your kids. That's a great idea. Child of the day. I'm going to tell my daughter about that one because she's got, well, she'll have five old enough to do that soon. The baby's still pretty little, but she can do that with the four. That's a good one. So what about socialization, ladies? I know you both homeschool, and I did too when Francesca was young. And I've heard from lots of moms that will be homeschooling this fall for the first time because of COVID. So I'm sure you both have great advice you can give about socialization, what it means, and why it's important. Now, we hear so much conflicting information about socialization, and many moms fear that by homeschooling their children, their kids will somehow miss out what's the truth about this somewhat controversial topic? Are homeschool kids less socialized than kids that go to school? Let's bust this myth for our listeners. September, what do you think? Okay. So, you know, I think there's two ways to look at this. And the reason I want to say that first is because not every homeschool family is the same. I do know homeschool families who do not socialize. And I think it really comes with intentionality and the culture of each home. So I don't want to say you know, straight across the board that all homeschoolers are unsocialized. And I don't want to say that they, you know, this is a myth. So I just want to kind of put that out there because I, you know, I have friends on both sides of this fence, just like, just like families who attend school, you know, it's really not that we are homeschoolers and that those who are homeschooled are unsocialized. So for my family, um, I, I just want to say it takes great intentionality, especially for me as an introvert, you know, I, I would not want to go out and spend a lot of time doing things, but a lot of times with homeschooling, especially with families who have homeschooled a while, it's not, homeschooling is not just about books. Like, I think we actually spend more time doing social things than a lot of other families because we have to go find a place for our kids to um, get together. We have to find those sports. We have to find the music lessons and the art. And so we're out doing those things. Our kids are getting together. Um, another way for our family that has been a huge blessing in bringing out strengths in my kids. And it's 
come with socialization is to encourage them to serve, whether it's a food pantry or nursing homes, encouraging them to be strong leaders. So, you know, any parent thinking of homeschooling, whether you have a small family or a large family, I just want to encourage you with COVID coming, don't let that be something that keeps you from doing that. Find another homeschool family that you've observed that has done this well. Um, there's a lot of people willing to share and talk about it right now. Jamie and I both are sharing in a lot of different places about this particular topic. But um, for us, it was very intentional. You know, we found a homeschool co-op. We would have um, a lot of different field trips, things like that. Um, we have a homeschool sports team and uh, they have music lessons and piano lessons. And I felt actually like I was doing too much running. I was out so much. Um, and then, you know, just to give the mom that is homeschooling and feeling like maybe she's not doing all that and how will her child adjust, you know, we homeschooled all of our kids. And with my first three, um, by the time I had 10 kids, my first three, it, it became difficult for me to homeschool. So, you know, speaking from the topic of our podcast, from that viewpoint, here's a mom, which is myself with a lot of kids and my three oldest, it got to a point where I could not homeschool them for a while. So we put them in a private school setting and I was worried, you know, cause my time was limited. I always had babies at home. So my socialization and being out had kind of pulled back some. And when we put them in school, uh, my son became the worship leader and the president of his class. My daughter became president of the school. They made um, high honors and they became very, very well liked. They, they led their class. They had strong leadership qualities. They were able to converse with other adults. The teachers always commented, wow, you know, your kids have this ability to carry on a conversation with adults that we've don't normally see. And it really encouraged me that my intentionality had paid off and that the things I was working on at home as a homeschool family, even though I had a lot of kids, was helping them in a social aspect. One of the reasons we actually decided to homeschool, obviously not the only reason, but one of the many, is that I wanted to build sibling relationships, deep abiding sibling relationships. And I wanted those relationships to take precedence over others. Not to say that I didn't want my kids to have friends, but that I wanted our family unit to be our first love. And so when I'm when I'm helping my kids nurture friendships, one thing that is not allowed in their connections is for any sibling shaming when friends are over. When I hear of maybe one of my kids' friends secretly trying to pit one sibling against another, or maybe belittling younger siblings, or um, making fun of older siblings, any of those things, that is an absolute red flag to me. And I have to nip that in the bud right away. And it could be possible that that relationship will not continue as it was without addressing that because I don't want anybody undercutting what we're already trying to build here as a family. And so my kids know that I have a pretty hard line when it comes to um, siblings making fun of other siblings or um, belittling or diminishing their gifts. I want my daughter and my sons to be the best of friends. So when you talk about socialization, one of the benefits of having a big family is 
there's never a lack for somebody to do something with. You know, if you want to play a board game, there's almost always somebody willing to do it with you. Um, having siblings around is just built-in friends. And that's not to say that we don't make other connections. I actually think in having more kids, I think I've become, I don't want to say a better hostess. That's That would be painting it um, too broadly. But I've become a more flexible hostess. I don't ever mind when something gets broken or something gets spilled on because that's just a, you know, par for the course of, of my home. Anyway, things get broken, things get spilled on because we have lots of kids. So I feel like, um, I'm maybe more of an open-handed person. Having lots of kids have, have made me be a more open-handed person. And I don't mind having lots of people in my house. And we often make connections. And I think I've mentioned this in another podcast episode. We prioritize friendships through family relationships. So we're more apt to become friends with another family unit than just individual people so that, you know, every person in the house has somebody to hang out with and to be with. And, and I feel like in having lots of kids, I've just become more willing to have lots of people over at once because it's just kind of adding to the numbers and it, it's, it doesn't seem as stressful as it did way back when, when I only had maybe one or two kids, um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's one of the side effects of having a lot of people in your home already. Well, September, like you, I also, there was a season where Franny was in school, in private Christian school. And I think because she was around adults a lot, she was around us a lot. And, and because of that, being an only child, I took her everywhere. She went with me when I volunteered, when I went to worship team practice, she was around adults a lot. So she was well socialized. She wasn't just with kids her own age all the time. And that made her just able to be around adults. And I think when she was around adults, I said, she's so comfortable around adults because she just wasn't always with kids, which I think was a good thing. So between ballet and sports and voice lessons, sewing classes, church, all that stuff, she was among a lot of kids, different, all kinds of different ages, several times a week, and lots of people different ages, kids her age, older kids, younger kids, it didn't matter. The benefit was it made her comfortable around all kinds of people, and she had no fear talking to them. She and I did a lot of theater projects together, which was really fun. We got to be in a bunch of different musicals when she was young, from 10, 12, 14, so she was extremely well socialized, even though she was homeschooled most of her years, not all of them, but most of them. And she had loads of interaction with all kinds of different people, but with my supervision, I was always around. So I was always there to watch what was going on. So, you know, the whole socialization question, like you said, September, there, there are people that are well, that keep their kids well socialized, some that don't. It's, I think you just have to find out what's going to work well for your family. But I think the more we can expose our kids to all different ages of people, just be with them. Don't let your kids just go off and be with whoever. You know, as I've always said, you've got to know who those families are. Don't just let your kids be with anybody. Be Know who they are. Know who you're letting them be around before you just let them go off and be with any old family. So be careful, just especially in today's world. So Kate, can I ask you a question? Sure. As a mom of one, 
I was chatting online with a friend who is a mom of one. Her son is a teenager now, and she shared with me one of the struggles that she has is, is living in the tension between being mom and playmate. And that that has at times been a drain to her because, you know, with one, I would assume you have to be extra intentional to make those friendships and those social connections, maybe even more so than those of us with lots of kids at home. And I'm wondering how that played out in your house with Franny. Did you feel like there was this extra layer to your relationship of being playmate at times? And was that a strain? Well, there, there, there is a strain. There is a balance. There's a juggling. You have to, because I remember her one time being mad at me and telling me she didn't like me. She was four years old and she was mad about something and said, mommy, I don't like you. And I said, I don't care if you like me, you have to obey me. You know, I knew in that moment there was going to come a day when we'd be best friends, but she was going to be older. When she was little, I knew I had to train her and raise her she, you know, that, 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 that relationship, we couldn't be buddy, buddy, you know, we couldn't be girlfriends until she was quite a bit older. She had to respect me and, and fear me a little bit, you know, that because they have to, they have to obey no matter what, if a car's coming out and she's running into the street, she has to stop when she hears my voice. And there has to be that relationship when they're little. As they grow older, I want her to confide in me. I wanted her to be able to tell me about a boy or about, you know, the different things in life, but still be able to listen to me and take my advice. And when I say, no, you can't do something to say, okay, mom, you're right. I, I, I'm not going to do that. So it's a balancing act. I did, did I do it perfectly? No, but I did it well enough that she didn't go off and do the things that I did at 15, 16 years old. That's so interesting because, you know, I only parented one for two years and or less than. And so that wouldn't have even been in my frame of reference that that would be a struggle for a mom that, you know, when you don't have built-in playmates of multiple siblings, that sometimes that falls to you. And, and learning how to balance that, I, I just wouldn't have thought of that. And so I think that that's something that needs to be said. And perhaps that's yeah. something that a mom listening today needs to hear and needs to know that maybe her friends are struggling with her friends yeah. with only one child. That's the struggle that you, you sometimes have to be playmate, but yet you're still mom. Well, you know, I'm just listening to us to have this conversation and I'm thinking about, you know, I have a lot of friends and all different family sizes and I've noticed that when a family, a smaller family comes to my home um, to play, maybe one child or two, the children are usually overwhelmed or the mom herself is overwhelmed. So I try to give her a little bit of forewarning, like it's kind of crazy here sometimes, but it doesn't bother me. If your child needs, you know, some time to separate from the noise, we could take a break or she and, um, you know, or he and my child can go play on their own. It doesn't always have to be a group, you know, activity. Cause we usually do, like Jamie said, um, have friends over with multiple ages because we can't have 10 different play dates every week with 10 of our kids. So we, you know, we're usually friends with families and, and we host a lot of things, but I have noticed it is sometimes overwhelming and it's new, you know, the noise and having to wait in line for food. Cause we do all buffet style, you know, and there's a lot of different things. And I think it's good for us to be sensitive of that. Also, because I know a lot of um, people like my age or younger who grew up as maybe an only child or from a small family 
and they never had to really take care of babies or change a diaper. And then they became a mom and they didn't know they, you know, they didn't know because they didn't grow up with that. And so, you know, if you are friends with another mom who is just having a baby and she was an only child, that is something to seriously consider coming alongside her for, because, um, you know, I have very close relationships with people who were getting ready to have a baby. And they said, I, this, I'm clueless as to what to do because I was an only child. And then on the other hand, as a mom of many kids, I have to really remind my kids when we go to someone else's house, you know, um, we're not going to be wild monkeys. We're going to be thoughtful of space and noise. You know, this home isn't used to this volume and we're not going to, um, take a ton of food because they're not used to cooking crock pots. And, you know, I think there needs to be a good respect when it comes to socialization, not just homeschooling, but, you know, as different family sizes and dynamics play into getting together with friends and rules like that. And, you know, for our family, we don't do sleepovers. So people who have smaller families, sometimes in our circles don't understand that. And I've had to, you know, explain that. And, um, so there's, you know, just different rules, different cultures, but the socialization is important. I think for both sides, you know, whether you're homeschooling family, large or small. That is such a great point, September. Now that you say that I, I can think of a couple of friends in my life who maybe have one or two. And I've noticed that too, of, I, I have to be mindful to tell my kids, you know, this, this little boy isn't used to having people around him all the time and the noise volume level alone and just constant activity he needs his space he needs a few moments here and there where he can just go off by himself and regroup because he's used to that that's his comfort level and and i think that's a good thing to teach your kids because that is part of socialization is learning to catch on to the cues of the people that you're with based on their personal experience. Well, let's talk about holidays and birthdays. Do you have any traditions or things you've learned to make them go more smoothly? I mean, with a lot of children, everyone can't expect to receive everything on their Christmas list. How do you make it work so everyone is focused on the meaning of the season, but everyone still enjoys giving and getting gifts? Well, for our family, I, there's a few things we've talked about Christmas before, and I'll let Jamie talk about that a little bit more also and refer to the podcast on that, but let's talk about birthday parties and making it special when you have a large family. So for us, because we're a larger family, um, from my perspective, we've chosen to celebrate parties, birthday parties only on certain years. So when they're one, when they're five, when they're 10, 13 and then 18. And then the other years we, we just celebrate them as a family, which is basically a great big party. Anyways, it's just not friends and, um, you know, the big birthday to do hurrah party. And the reason we've had to do that is because can you imagine, you know, here's, here's my family, the McCarthy's 10 kids always inviting people, our friends, so that means our friends would be going to 10 birthday parties a year just for our family, which means each one that comes to our family's birthday parties would have to invest. Let's say they each bought a $10 gift. That's a hundred dollars for that family just to come to my kids' birthday parties. Then on the flip side, it gets expensive. So we've chosen specific years for our family to have big birthday parties the rest of the year. It's just with the family and our kids love that. And it makes it special. They know it's coming um, to make it budget friendly. 
some things that I've done. We have a special plate for their birthday day. I made a um, fabric banner instead of always buying like the paper disposable birthday banners to decorate the house. I have like a little birthday tote and drawer. Um, so we hang this fabric banner and it's reusable. And um, there's things like that, that we've done to make make things special and budget friendly. When it comes to getting gifts, you know, we have certain things that we do at Christmas and on birthdays that our kids have learned to say, you know, to honor them. Usually it's activities, things we'll do as a family. My husband has special things, but it's usually an all day long birthday party, um, birthday celebration for our children. It's not just, um, you know, a huge, a huge one party, one hour, two hour thing. And one of the things I did when my, my kids were little and I saved this paper and, you know, another mom might like this, whether you have one child or 10 children is I have the special form I created and it's in my computer and I have a copy and I just make copies every year and I give it to my kids the day before their birthday or a week before, and they fill it in, you know, it says their name and their age and things they like to do and their favorite hobbies and the age that they're turning. And then what they would like for dinner on their birthday, what they would like for breakfast on their birthday, what they would like as a gift, if they could pick one gift, if they could pick one activity. And then I have them draw a picture, trace their hand and I save those papers and I put them in the scrapbook. And then I use that as like, okay, they want a chocolate chip cake with chocolate frosting and I make it and I want pancakes for breakfast and we make it. And then they remember that. And then when they're going through their scrapbook later, you know, it's special. It's always special. And every year they're like, can I fill out my paper? So there's things I've done to make my kids, you know, feel special. I think that sometimes a concern other families have for my children is that they're going to feel, you know, like birthdays are lumped in. I know a lot of times big families celebrate the birthdays in June all on one day or the birthdays in the winter all on one day. And everybody has their own thing, but this is what we've done to make it special. I love that idea of them filling it out because then that's still honoring them and, and creating this tangible legacy of their life without adding extra work for you when you have lots of kids. That's brilliant. I think I shared in episode 20 where we talked about mom hacks for Christmas that we really limit the amount of gifts that we buy for Christmas because we want the, the focus to be about Jesus and so, you know, I've often told my kids, Christmas is not your birthday, it's Christ's birthday. And on your birthday, we will make a big deal of you. But on Jesus' birthday, we're going to make a big deal of him. So when we're talking about birthdays, I do like to make a big deal of my kids because it is their day and I want to celebrate. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have a huge party. We do have a birthday budget. And every child has the same amount of money in their birthday account. And when it comes to their birthday, we like to get them involved, meaning we have a conversation with them and we ask them, this is the amount of money that you, we have to spend on your birthday. Now that can be spent in a multitude of ways. You can have friends come over and we can spend it on the actual party. And that may mean that your presents are fewer. You can spend it on an activity where we all go and do something together. You can spend it on presents. And then that means that the actual day has very little activity, but they get to decide. And it's interesting. It really is a study in personality because some of them, the more maybe introverted types prefer to forego a party and just have an activity that we all do together, or maybe just invest it in one big present that they would like to, to have. But we, we like to give them that option for how the money is spent. 
a couple of things that we like to do to honor them um, in the morning before the, the birthday child gets up, I always take a whiteboard marker and write, I have this mirror at the end of our hallway and I write them a special birthday note just for them. And so then all the kids wake up and they're able to see that note that I've written for this special child. And that child is able to see and, and really um, know how much I love them and how much I, they mean to me. For the past few years, I've taken the birthday child out for birthday donuts. Uh, and it's just me and them having a date first thing in the morning. And what I've found over the last few years, because I've been intentional to cultivate those sibling relationships is, you know, originally when I started doing this, donuts were a great plan because they were cheap. And when you are in the lean years of mothering and you have way more month than you have money, donuts are just a cheap date to take your kids on. They cost like 68 cents and you buy a donut or two and a cup of juice and it's really cheap. But now we're not in those lean years anymore. And so what I found recently is that my kids have asked, you know, they're the special birthday child, but they ask before we leave the donut shop, hey mom, can I pick out a couple of donuts to bring back home for my brothers and my sister? And, you know, of course, that's a big, huge yes that I want to give. And again, they're cheap, so I can, but that's just a way for them to invite their siblings into their birthday celebration. They always get to pick out the, the meal that we have for dinner. That's their birthday dinner, and they can pick out whatever they want, and I'll make it for them. And then on their actual birthday, when they were born, I, I purchased... It's called Make a Plate, I think, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's a little plate kit that you can design a piece of paper on a piece of paper and send it into the company and they'll print it on a melamine, is that how you say that? Plate and mail it back to you. So on their birth date, when they were born, I had everybody who came to visit them in the hospital sign their name. I had the doctor sign his name, his or her name, and the nurses. And then I... Um, put their footprints in the very center of the plate and said, you know, something around the edges like happy birthday or whatever. And then I had the paper sent away to be made into a plate. So now each one of my kids has a special birthday plate and they get to eat their birthday dinner on that plate. And just remember all the people who were there on the very first day of their life who came to celebrate them and, and their life with them. Um, also at that dinner, we go around as a family and we each take turns around the table saying something that we appreciate and love about that person. And from year to year, the things have changed. Um, and we're, it's just an intentional time to invest words of life into the special birthday boy or girl. And then they get to say the thing that they most enjoyed about being whatever age it was. If they were, if they're turning 12, they get to say what they most enjoyed um, in the year that they were 11. And that's a great way to end the day. And so I guess all that to say, I, I do make a big deal of birthdays because that is their day. And I, I want to emphasize them. And I think it also swings back around at Christmas in that they can put the same amount of effort and energy into celebrating Jesus. I love that. Great idea. Well, finally, ladies, is there something that you wished mothers of small families knew about mothers of larger families and the struggles and misconceptions that you deal with? And I'll address the things that mothers like me of an only child wish mothers of large families knew about us and our struggles? 
Okay, before I even answer this question, I feel like this is a dream question for me to be asked this because these are <laughs> like, this is the, this is like the type of question no one, no one ever asks me. Like there's things that I, you know, feel and know and experience all the time as a mom of a big family, but I would never just put it out there. So when I answer, it's only because we're we're asking this hard kind of tricky question. I would never just, you know, say these things on social media, but they are good for discussion. And that's why we're here. So we're here to have a conversation so that we can always be sensitive to other people's um, homes. But for me, I feel like I have this list. I made a little list and here are the misconceptions. I feel that sometimes um, moms of larger families deal with. Um, I feel like, and I know, people have a misconception that I'm a natural and I'm, I was made to be a mom of many, but they, but they aren't. I feel like there's a misconception that maybe I always wanted a big family. There's a misconception that people with large families, all the kids are the same and that we don't or can't make time for all of them. That's a misconception. You know, there's no way people say there's no way you can make time for each of your children individually. Um, it's a misconception. I think that I'm a super mom because I have so many and I've made it maybe look easy to other people. And the last misconception people say, well, they just have it all together. And I would like to take every misconception that I listed. Maybe someone can go back, like pull the slider back on the podcast and play it again and listen and write them down. Those are also my struggles because maybe I didn't want a big family right along. Maybe my kids aren't the same and therefore it takes so much energy to keep up with 10 different personalities. So all of the misconceptions have become my struggles. And so, you know, when you see someone and you think something about them, remember, it's probably really a struggle for them. Um, it's hard for me to take time for all of my kids, but I do. And, um, I'm not a super mom. And if it looks easy, to someone from the outside, it's because it's a struggle. I'm working hard at it. Um, a lot of people say, wow, you're so lucky. Your kids are all well behaved. And I just want to say to them, this has nothing to do with luck. Like this is intentional, you know, and it's, and it's not because we're a big family. It's because I am trying to raise a family of 10 kids. Like each of them are an only child and it's so much work. There are nights I go to bed and I just think, Wow. You know, whatever people say looks easy from the outside. I'd, I'd like to know what that is. <laughs> so, um, and then of course the misconception that, um, that we have it all together. Of course, I just invite people to come and sit at my table for one meal, you know, as a family of 12 and, and see, we don't have it all together. And, and when people see large families, you know, remember to pray for them. Remember it's a financial struggle and remember that it's a lot of work. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that we, that we covered this question. Cause it's a, sometimes I just want to say those things as a mom of many. And I know moms with smaller families have just as much of a list as well. And I think that's why we love our podcast because we can have these conversations and we can show grace to someone else on a different, you know, place. Yeah. September it's, it's kind of like, we all just need to recognize, you know, God, God lavishes us with the grace that we need right here in this moment. So when you have one or two kids, when I had one or two kids, I didn't need the patience of a mom with five kids. 
And today I don't need the patience of a mom with 10 kids. He gives me exactly what I need when I need it. And I think when I only had one or two, I, I would have to admit, I, I did have those moments of saying, oh, well, this is probably all I can tackle because this is hard. And it was hard. But like I said earlier, as kids get added to the family, one, God gives you the grace that you need today. So he gives you the grace that you need for three or four or five or 10 kids. But you also just learn to let go and, and not dwell on things that seemed so very important. Um, and that's not being lazy. I think sometimes when I have friends of maybe one or two kids, I have felt a sense of quiet judgment in that maybe I'm looked upon as lazy because, you know, things that, you know, I don't fold my kids' clothes and set them all out for what they're supposed to wear in the morning. I'm expecting them to be able to pick out their own clothes. And sometimes they come down the stairs and they don't match. And I just have learned to let that go. It's not important. It was important to me when I had one or two kids. It's just not important to me now. And there's some benefits in that. I, I've had to give myself enough grace to say, you know what, Jamie, it, it, there are some benefits to your kids maybe not matching and coming down and not matching clothes because they're learning to pick out their own clothes. They're learning to experience maybe the social fallout of going outside and maybe hearing an unkind word about the fact that they're not matching. And so then the next time they learn to go and pick out something that does match. So there are some hidden gifts um, that I've experienced in having several kids and having to let go of some of those things that were such a priority a few years ago and just are not. So my list is kind of short. The first thing, I guess, if, if I could say out loud to moms of one or two, I would just want them to know, yes, I know how this happens. I know what causes this. And yes, my hands are full, but so is my heart. And, and I've just come to terms with the fact that um, there is a certain level of judgment that I'm going to experience when I'm out and about, when I'm at Walmart and I have all five of my little ducks following me. But I, I want to be the mom who celebrates any size family that, you know, if God gives you one or two, I celebrate that with you. But please celebrate with me, too, for having five. Um, and that leads me to the second thing that every baby deserves to be celebrated. And every mom could use a meal train, no matter how many babies she's had. I know with my first and my second, I had lots of meals delivered to my house right after the baby was born. But I can tell you that by my fourth, I had zero. And I had four under five. And, and I think that there is some overwhelm that happens to a person when they sign up to deliver a meal for a family of, you know, six or seven, they think, oh, that's so much food I have to, I have to deliver. And so maybe they talk themselves out of it. But that mom who has a lot of littles, who has a lot of kids could use a meal just as much as a mom with one or two. And the last thing is, um, please understand that my time is greatly divided and that I am grossly outnumbered. So sometimes as a mom of many, I have to say no to things to my kids that maybe would otherwise be a yes because I have more people to answer for and answer to. And I just wanna tell you just a real quick story to illustrate this. 
So when I had four, four under five, we had invited a family over for um, a backyard bonfire in the fall and we were going to have schmores. And this family happened to only have one at the time. And so they let their little one roast the marshmallow all by himself. And they were standing right there, one on each side, and the little one was roasting the marshmallow. And then of course my kids wanted to do that too. And we had already, my husband and I had already had a conversation that we probably wouldn't let them roast marshmallows this time, that we would roast the marshmallows for them. And then they'd be able to make their s'more. And the couple sort of pushed back at us. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you letting your kids? We're letting our kids and it, our child and it's, it's working out just fine. And I think it was difficult for them to understand. We are grossly outnumbered. If I gave four little ones marshmallow sticks and pointed them at the fire, or even if I did it one at a time, I'd have three or four kids running around close to a fire and I'm only one person. So while I would have loved to have been able to let them each roast an individual marshmallow, it just wasn't logistically possible with that many children. So I guess I would just love um, for a mom of maybe one or two to understand. It's not that I'm a mean mom. And sometimes I feel like it when I have to say no, when maybe it could be a yes. It's just that I'm, I'm grossly outnumbered. And I love that. I love that position but it is what it is. And sometimes that means it has to come with a no. Mm, that, that's a, it's a hard reality, but it is a reality. <clears throat> well, I wish mothers of large families knew how many mothers of only children knew how for many of us, it isn't a choice. For some of us, it is, but for many of us, it isn't. And it's hard to hear about your friend's newest pregnancy and be excited for her yet again. You know, infertility can be a very deep wound. And if we don't come to your baby shower, please don't be offended. We might have just missed our period again. And the thought of having to go buy another baby shower gift is just more than we can handle. You are living our dream. But on the other hand, some moms of onlys may not even be able to comprehend why you would ever want to have that many children. They think you're slightly crazy and don't want to catch whatever it is you have. So you've got both. And, you know, now I'm, I'm on the first side, but there are a lot of women that just can't even understand it. So, but, you know, we live in the first time in recent history when sexual intimacy has been able to be separated from conception and birth, really, and just in the last 50 years, we can decide how many children we have rather than leaving it up to God to make that decision. I find it really fascinating that between 1976 and 2000, the proportion of 40-something women who were childless and unlikely to ever have children doubled. Each of us can decide how many children we will have until, like me, we can't. But God, in his infinite wisdom, he knew exactly what my daughter needed for where he was taking her, and he made it very clear to my husband and me early on that we were going to raise an only child in spite of my objections. God always knows best. Well, I am so glad you joined us today, and I hope you learned some strategies and tips and advice that you can put into practice. I, I think there was a lot of great information today. In two weeks, we'll be airing our last episode with Crystal Hurst. You don't want to miss it. It's a terrific episode. And I hope you'll take a minute and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and leave us a rating. It really helps other moms find us. Also, join us over on the Mom to Mom Facebook page and feel free to like us over there and on Instagram. 
We're so blessed that you join us here for each episode. Honestly, you make our podcast possible, and we're so grateful that you join us for each episode. Thank you so much.